Hello friends, welcome to episode number 22 of the Make It Stack podcast with Will Waterhouse. The podcast designed to demystify the world of saving and investing for young people. So today I'm joined by Atto, aka Savvy Wallet, who is also passionate about getting as many people as possible to get on the train to financial freedom. After struggling with money as a student and getting a black mark on his credit score, Atto decided to make a change. He started budgeting, improving his credit score, and started on the journey to become more investment savvy. So in the podcast, we talk about how you can improve your credit score, his experience in peer-to-peer lending, financial education, and the importance of staying the course as long-term investors, where you're able to ride the rough with the smooth. So as always, remember to keep calm and ride the vol. And without further ado, let's get into it. I just thought I'd kick off the podcast uh, yeah. as I normally do, and that is, you know, where did it all begin for you in terms of getting into the world of saving and investing? Yeah, so for me, I think it started for me probably maybe five, I would say five to seven years ago. So, I mean... At university, so at university, I went to university between 2009-2013. I wasn't great with money. I was terrible with money. Um, I, I I wouldn't say I had a lot of debt. I mean, I was like any other student, you know, get your student loans, spend it on going out. Um, I had an overdraft, uh, which I didn't pay attention to. Um, and then at some point, um, because I wasn't using it um, a lot, and I kind of kept it inactive as, as what they said. Um, they put me into a default. They closed the account, put me into a default. So it meant that there was a black mark on my credit score or credit report, shall I say. Um, but I didn't really take it seriously, to be honest. I was just kind of, you know, I didn't really understand what it meant, to be honest, until mm. I needed um, good credit for something, um, which was a tablet that I wanted to buy. Again, another bad uh, decision. Luckily, I didn't. I wasn't able to get that 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 tablet because my uh, credit score was terrible. And then I was like, you know what? <laughs> you need to you need to fix up. You need to sort your sort yourself out. Um, and then the first thing I really did was focus on just improving my credit, um, making sure that I paid all the repayments that I had for that uh, closed account. Uh, making sure that any other payments or any other direct debits I had, I paid that on time. Um, and then at some point, I started to become a bit more conscious of budgeting. I got a bit better at budgeting my mon- money, um, setting myself a budget. That enabled me to save quite a bit, um, then got really good at saving. And then I had like over 10 grand at some point in my account. I was like, okay, Mm. it's just in my account like you know can I do a bit more with this is a little bit boring like I'm just getting like a really low interest rate so what what more can I do about this so I started researching things I did not know what the stock market was at this point this was about maybe um I'll say about five six years ago I didn't really know much about what I didn't know what the stock market was at that point Mm. I knew of a concept called investing, but I didn't really know where to start. So the first kind of investing that I looked at was like peer-to-peer. I guess that was a bit more accessible. Was that like an innovative finance ISA type thing? 
Yes, 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 yes. So yeah, open and innovative finance. I saw, I use a few platforms. Um, the first one that I used was okay. I lost a little bit of money, not a lot, a little bit of money because it was investing in um, small, medium-sized businesses. Um, and there was no like sort of collateral um, for my for my loan to that business. So if I if I you know if they were in default then and they couldn't pay back, then I kind of lost the money. So I just did a bit more research. I was using things like peer to peer independent forum. Lots of people that are passionate about peer to peer lending um, was on that forum. They had a wealth of knowledge, so I kind of leveraged their knowledge to understand which were the best platforms. Settled on one or two of those platforms, um, and then just started putting my my money in there. To be honest, like two, three, four grand in there, got mm. a decent return. And then after I got comfortable with that, I started looking at investing in the stock market. Um, again, that was a minefield. I again, I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, looking back. All the publications that I read, when you, when you think about it, right, it wasn't that clear, actually. It wasn't that clear. I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't, okay, although I got an investment platform, I didn't really understand, okay, you know, what does that mean? I didn't really get that. I understood that there were fees and things like that. Um, I understood that there was something called an index fund, and that's all I really knew. I didn't really you know, really know about individual stocks at that, at that point. So anyway, I um, opened an account with Fidelity as like my investment platform. Um, and then I invested in four index funds. Um, I can't remember the, which ones they were, but I kind of got them on this list. Um, I think from Morningstar, it was like list of 50 index funds. Now looking back at it now, like I cringe, right? But um yeah, I did. I did do no research on on the index funds. I knew one was a tech one. I think I knew one was invested in UK companies, and I don't really remember what the other two were. So I was putting in like about I think twenty five pounds in four index funds, so about hundred pounds a month. Yeah, um, it was it was all, it was working all right. It was all right. I mean, I think I I broke even because I only had kept my money in that index fund for about two years. Then I needed the money to. Um, buy a house so yeah that's how it kind of started that's how I got into Great. investing initially so just picking up on the innovative finance ISA point would you be able to just kind of uh, give a brief overview as to what it is as a product because I must say that I actually have never invested in these and I don't know okay. that much about them it would be great yeah. if you could just provide an overview as to what they are and, and what kind of returns you could expect as an investor yeah yeah so an entity Innovative uh, Finance ISA is literally a tax wrapper, uh, a tax-free wrapper for you to be able to invest in a peer-to-peer or invest as a peer-to-peer loan to companies. So it could be different types of, um, and this is usually via peer-to-peer platform. Um, so it's no different to opening a bank account with uh, any banks out there. It's similar. What you do is you'll find um, a peer-to-peer platform that you want to lend money on um, and they usually will, will offer what's called an innovative finance um, ISA and that means that um, essentially if you make any returns on that it's going to be tax-free it's not going to be subjected to any capital gains tax um, the tax-free rules 
are in accordance with our current um, ISA allowance that we have. Uh, so 20,000, of, of course, you can split across all of them or you can put the whole 20, try and use the whole 20,000 um, in this uh, innovative finance ISA. So literally, it's just a type of account. Um, and then within that account, you then can start to invest in different um, peer-to-peer loans. Um, and it varies. Um, some peer-to-peer loans that you, or some kind of, let's say, let me call them companies that you um, invest to. You can invest to companies or people. So it's different types. Sometimes it's businesses that are in, you know, maybe healthcare or maybe somebody that's in uh, property um, space. So that's how it, that's how it sort of works at the moment. Okay. And so to me, my, my first question is how, how much sort of available information is there to evaluate the the credit worthiness of of the people you're giving your money to? Um, like, do, like if is is there like a simple interface where it's like low risk, medium, high risk, and then and then there's the associated rates of return you could expect? Like, how how do you go about researching which specific uh, business or individual to lend your money to? Yeah, so different platforms are different. Some don't tell you if they think that the client or personal business that you're lending your money to is low medium or high so you definitely have to do I would say regardless even if they tell you that you should still do your research now in terms of the information can you get information on the companies or people that you're invested in yes you can Um, uh, the platforms generally do provide um, a lot of information. So, for instance, one of the platforms I use, if you are investing in somebody who's a property developer, they'll give you all the information about what the agreement is, right? So they'll tell you what, how much they're trying to raise. They'll tell you if it's um, if it's not protected, but if it's backed by anything, if it, if it's backed by a property. So I like to invest in, I guess people businesses where there's some kind of collateral um so it'll tell you what the collateral is it'll tell you that there were surveyors for instance that valued it again whether you agree with that valuation or not that's a different that's Mm -hmm. a different situation right yeah um of course you you might want to do your research and you might want to find a comparable property in the area and say okay actually no property sold for the last six months and it wasn't comparable so yeah you do get a lot of the information there for you to um to to vet um even say for instance it's like a, a rental property for example it will give you they'll they'll tell you how much um information is there in terms of like how much you can expect it again it differs from platform to platform i would say between uh, lowest I've seen maybe 3% to maybe about, it can go really high, but the higher it goes, the more riskier it is, right? There are some platforms that offer 15, 20%, but you know, like it's a bottomless pit. Yeah, okay, <laughs> they might give you that, but mm. it's likely that you may not get your money back because they're just accepting crappy businesses, crappy people, so you have to do a lot of your. Um, I'm, I'm just being honest, people. right? Yeah, no, well, I, I people that, you, you know, they're not going to pay back, right? They have yeah. no intention of paying back. Um, they're just yeah. not good with returning returning money. 
So, um, you know, I, I would say the best platforms are the ones that vet, that vet the people and companies that they bring onto the platform heavily. They scrutinize them. The ones, the one I use, they barely have any loans. And the reason for that is because they are vetting them heavily, mm. heavily, heavily, because they don't want their, their uh, people to lose money. Another thing that's good is some of the platforms as well, they have what's called, it's a, it's a kind of emergency fund. I can't remember the name for what the exact term is, but it's a kind of emergency fund. So they build up this pot of money just in case some of the loans fall through. They'll cover you with with this fund. So and there are some platforms that do that. But you can find a lot yeah. of this information and discussion on independent forum, P2P independent forum. A lot of people talk about their experiences with um, some of the platforms where they've lost money. So it's very, very mm. transparent. Which which platforms have you used and which platforms do you like the best? I like PropLend. PropLend's really good. Um, I've never lost money on them. Um, and I don't think they've ever lost investors any money. Don't quote me on that, though. <laughs> it comes back that don't it, worry, I'll, I'll heavily caveat know. this, this uh, yes, in the notes. Yes. <laughs> Yes, based on my current knowledge, they haven't uh-huh. um, lost investors any money. Um, even when we've had like, um, even when when it's come time to repay the loan, um, they're quite good with their communications. The the lender um, uh, offers to pay, continue to pay the interest with like some additional. Um, yeah. And then sometimes what they'll do is they'll just remortgage and then make sure you get your money back. So PropLend's been quite good. Yeah, so so just on on like the cash flow timeline. Yeah. So obviously there's an initial outlay where you in, in invest the money and provide yeah. that capital to yeah. the company or the individual. Yeah. Um, generally speaking, uh, from your experience, what the what does the timeline look like in terms of the repayments? And is there is there like a principal repayment at the end? Like how how does that profile look like? Yeah, so this is where um, investing in peer to peer loans is different to investing in stocks because with when you are loaning your money out to a company or a person um you are you don't have that money they have that money essentially to do whatever they want to do with it and then they repay you the interest that you agreed on a a monthly basis now again in terms of the length because usually what happens is they'll pay you interest that you've agreed and then at the end of the agreed period you should get your money back if all things go well you'll get your principal the money that you lent to them back plus obviously everything that you've accumulated over that month so that's how it normally works now in terms of the length of it it's different so in prop lend i I've just completed one that was 12 months um, and I've got another one ongoing that's 36 months so it depends right. there's some nine some 12 some 36 six months um, so yeah yeah it's, it's, it's different okay and um, what kind of percentage of your total net worth as it were would 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 you be willing to have invested in peer-to-peer loans because from my mm. perspective it sounds like a bit of a dark market, even yeah. even from what you've said. Um, so like, yeah, what 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 sort of allocation would you have to this particular asset class? Yeah, for me, it's no more than ten percent. No more than ten no percent. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Okay. No more than ten percent. I think. I think if it really depends. You know what? This is what's crazy. This is why I always tell people to do their research and be comfortable, because that's just that's just me, right? That's just because. That's just because I prefer to invest in the stock market. But I I have seen people on the, these forums telling me that they've invested six figures into into peer into peer to peer loans. Yeah, I was I was shocked. That's so now ballsy. again, obviously yeah. I don't know how I don't know how much of the percentage of their portfolio, but six figures is still you know it, it's still yeah, it's a lot of money to most people. <laughs> exactly, still a lot of money. So I would say no more than ten percent, um, just to protect yourself, just in case, because you never know, right? Like right now we we have these recession talks happening and it could adversely affect you know these companies or people being able to repay um you know your money back and repay obviously the interest as well on top of that so that's why that's why i'll say 10 percent, no more than 10 percent, just to keep yourself on the safe side Mm. yeah i think you know, we're finding ourselves in a in a rising interest rate environment with inflation, and it's it's really tough. And that, yeah, I mean, yeah. people are talking about default rates on bonds, you know, increasing. There's definitely been a bit of a risk off uh, environment over over 2022, really. So it's been yeah. it's been pretty tough times for for investing. I mean, like certainly say it from my perspective, it hasn't been super straightforward. But I guess that's good. That's what's good about being young is that you have that ability to just sort of you know, ride, ride out the volatility, um, and just kind of hopefully in the end, make, make some money. Yeah. Um, cool. Um, so just, just, um, picking up on something you said, um, recently, um, so you, you mentioned that you got a black, black mark on your, on your credit score or something. Um, do you want to just like provide a little bit of an overview as to like how that happened? And then also just to provide a bit of information on, what your credit score is and how you can improve it. Yeah. So, oh, so, okay. So I don't have the flat mark on it anymore. Sorry. Oh yeah. Uh, no, but I've you did clear. before, didn't yeah, you? Yeah. But I did before. Sorry. Yeah. 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 No, no, no. no you're, you're, right. I'm sure you're very switched on now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, I got it because I had, I opened a student account. So if there's any students listening to this, when you, unfortunately, and I think it's, you know, I think it's a shame, right? That when, you know, as a young person, when you go to a bank or use any service, they don't give you a basic level of education. They're very happy to give us student accounts and overdrafts and credit cards and, you know, all of these sort of things. So I, I, I got a um, an overdraft account, not with a lot of money, £500 um, overdraft, um, but I didn't read the terms and conditions. Um, and the terms and conditions stated that that needed to be the account where I uh, was receiving my uh, student loan and I also needed to keep the account um, active. But what I actually did was I spent it up to 500 overdrawn, put money here and there, five pound here and there. And then I kind of stopped transferring money there for a few months. I think, let me say three, four months. And then they kind of took that as, okay, the account isn't active. You're in breach of the terms and conditions. So we're going to close the account. They closed the accounts and then they basically served me with a letter of, you now owe us £500. Now, if I was switched on like I am now back then, or if I had somebody that I could have reached out to um, to help support me, they probably would have just gone back to the bank and said, look, come on, this is ridiculous, right? Just open the account back up and he will 
try and you know keep it active or whatever right and also you don't need to put um um oh, what's the word for it you see I'm, I'm forgetting all my terms um there's a specific word for when you default right oh yeah they would have had to put a default on my um credit report anyway so they put a default on my credit report and then i got put onto a payment plan <laughs> oh no yeah, I got put onto a payment plan. Um, and then, yeah, I paid it off over a few years during uni and then after uni, uh, finished paying it off. And then eventually, because it the default um, is on your credit report for six years at the time that they put it on your default. And then after some point, it, yeah, it got removed. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, my, my credit report is all, almost perfect. Um, so... Yeah. For me, right, I would say some of the key things, some of the key mistakes that I made and I think people should learn from, any sort of accounts that you get. So if you get an overdraft, if you get um, a credit card, these are all forms of agreements with, or even a loan, you get a store account. These are all agreements with a bank or some sort of lender. So these are agreements that you need to understand what you're agreeing to and make sure that you follow it. Cause if you don't follow it, it can screw you over, you know, even as, even as things as, okay, you were supposed to pay a direct debit on the first and then you happen to miss that direct debit. And then you happen to want to pay it on the third. They can just say, look, you're late payment. And then that adversely affects your, your credit report. So I'd always say to people, make sure that you have, um, you understand what you're getting yourself into. Make sure you can afford to pay back the repayments and also make sure that you set up some form of direct debit and that is able to, um, you know, clear it up. And you can do all of this yeah. if you have a budget, right? Um, I think just doing some of those basic things really helps you look good. It makes you, it means you're responsible. It means you pay back on time, right? Like I, I always liken it to, and I did a video about this a few years ago. If you borrowed money to somebody, right? Uh, or sorry, if somebody, um, if you lent money to somebody and they didn't pay you back, would you give them money again? No, you wouldn't. So it's the same thing, right? Treat yourself like that, right? If you, if you are reliable, right, they're going to, they're going to keep on giving you money <laughs> and they'll say, okay, yes, you're, you're good. Uh, if you're not reliable, then it just messes you up. Yeah. I think, I think from my perspective, I, I'm not very switched on when it comes to the credit card side, like, like yeah. literally I don't have a credit card. Yeah. Um, and the, actually this was another question I had for you uh, and you probably get a lot. Does, does the fact that I don't have a credit card mean that my credit score is a lot worse than it should be? Or do, do, like, do, is there a lack of data or, or, or can they evaluate me based on, um, transactions? Um, you know, say like a, a direct debit going out of my, uh, normal bank account that's linked to my debit card like do, yeah how would that impact my score yeah so yeah so it's so funny because when i used to work at a phone shop right a big thing for us to get customers um a contract we had to do um, a credit check and we had a lot of students who had um, no form of credit now there's a, lots of ways to contribute to your uh, credit score you don't have to have a credit card to contribute to your credit score you mentioned that you have a direct debit so there's other accounts that could appear on your credit score so if you've got like um a direct debit set up with like your energy um company 
um, then that can have a good impact or a bad impact on your credit score if you're paying your direct debits on time or if you're not paying your direct debits on time. <laughs> so um, so energy, um, your f- mobile phone, if you've got like a contract with them, that also appears on there. Mm. So yeah, you don't need to have um, um, a, a credit card to to um, have a good credit. And also if you're okay. on electoral roll as well, that can also contribute to it. I do really? think though, oh, right. yes, that does. Yeah, that does have a, um, that does have a. So a, if you're not on the electoral, electoral role, you're deemed less credit worthy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's like a way to verify you, right? Yeah. To verify where you are because um, how your, where, where your credit profile is built, right? It's built on all the sort of information that they have in you, right? So your bank account, you mentioned your bank account. So your, that information will be, on your credit report as well and i guess if that's kind of like you know tied in with your your um you you being on electoral role then yeah it's mm. likely that you're not committing fraud and, and you know stuff <laughs> like that right yeah true, uh, true so yeah so yeah no you don't have to get a credit card to um to to have good credit to be honest oh that makes me feel a lot better thank you for that yeah that's all right um and so yeah just finally on this so if anyone was to try and get a reliable credit score what website would you recommend? So you, I believe it's four scores you have. You have, so there's different credit agencies, right? And then you're, I think the credit score is like a kind of like a number, but what's actually more important is a credit report, the actual report about you, what your accounts are, whether you're paying things on time, do you have a default and all of that sort of stuff. So now there are three big agencies in the country. You've got Experian, Equifax and I believe the uh, TransUnion and I believe there's a fourth one which escapes me at the moment they have different information about you because the different banks and institutions etc give this information to to they don't give it to the same ones basically mm. some of them only give it to experience some of them only give it to Equifax so actually you'll find that your credit report can be different across the three so before back in the days you couldn't access it you could access it for free but only for like a month and then you have to start paying but now there's been some sort of disruption and with it so clear score allows you to see um equifax and then uh you can see i think experion allows you to see your credit score for free i don't believe they let you see your your credit report for free but you can um so you know money saving expert Yes, with Martin you, Lewis. Yes, you can see your Experion uh, credit report for free. They have a, a product on their website where you can see it for free. And then TransUnion is Credit Karma. So Credit Karma, you can you can see that for free. So these days, you don't have to even spend money to see your credit report. So I would recommend people checking it every month just to make sure somebody's not doing fraud on your account because mm. people could do it and it, it could have an impact on... Um, you know, again, on you being able to borrow in the future if you wanted to get a mortgage and, and things like that. Yeah, so do you think, it, w- w- would your mortgage repayments be significantly higher if you had a worse credit rating then? Yeah, yeah. it's possible, yeah, yeah, yeah it's possible, yeah. Fair. And you could uh, be priced out of, you know, a good deal. So yeah, all of these stuff is linked. Of course, you know, in the future, this could change because I think there is an argument to say why are you, you know, for, especially for young people, why are you trying to um, 
determine whether they can borrow now based on their past if they have no past why wouldn't you do it based on their present situation right they've got exactly. a good, good job you know you can tell that their habits are good and mm. there's a good positive uh, and that's and that's why that's why it's so harsh i think you said something like um that that issue with your um student bank account and you, you got that negative mark on your record yeah. and you said that was going to be held for six years or something like yeah. six like six years from the age of 18 to 24 like you can massively change your financial situation and in fact yeah. most people do because when you're 18 yeah. chances are you're not really earning much money you're a student you know or, or yeah. coming out of school so yeah it's that's that sounds like a silly silly rule to me but i guess it is yeah i guess i guess at some point that you have to make rules to sort of make processes more efficient but no that was um that was uh really interesting thank you um so I, I know you touched upon this before with your accounts at Fidelity. I was hoping for you to just give an overview as to, um, you know, aside from the uh, the peer-to-peer stuff, what stocks and shares or bonds as well that you're investing at the moment, just sort of give a snapshot of your of your portfolio. Yeah, sure. So, I, so I'm no longer with Fidelity. I sold out of those index funds and then I got back into investing. I sold out like maybe like a year to buy my property. Uh, and then I think I, I, I got back into investing, I think about a year later. So bought property in 2019, got back into investing in 2020. Um, Is that I, pre or post COVID? Uh, I, oh my God. So do you know, this is where it gets crazy, right? So I was in it pre COVID. I sold because nobody knew what was going on with covid but i sold mm. i i at this point i hadn't had stocks i was um investing in um it was an index fund so i sold out my index fund um i should was have that like a global, was that like a global right? index fund i believe it was i can't really remember i believe it was i think yeah. it was yes i think it was and then um sold out and then i started buying in, I, I kind of changed, I, I just did a lot of things recently, um, but I'll go to what I'm recently invested in sure. um, instead of telling like the whole story. So I, I, I'm invested in a, I've got a global ETF. Um, it's, um, it's a Vanguard one. Um, I'm in, I've got a Vanguard FTSE 100 ETF as well that I'm invested in. I might sell out of it. I don't know, the UK is a little bit, I'm unsure, and when I'm uncertain, I'm like, okay, maybe I should just put the proceeds into my global um, ETF. Um, I I'm also invested in emerging markets because I think there's um, potential more growth there than the rest of the world. When I say the rest of the world, I'm talking about the US, Japan, etc. And then I'm invested in a few stocks. So one of the stocks that baffles me, two of the stocks that baffles me, Facebook or Meta mm. and Alibaba. Um, I think that from a valuation perspective, I mean, I think that they are undervalued, but this is where this, this is where, you know, the stock market is can be a bit tough at times. Because even if, you know, it may seem undervalued, you are constantly reminded as well that the stock market is also it is based a lot on sentiment at the end of the day mm. right yeah we like to talk about numbers it's true numbers are important i do agree with that um but in the short term 
it is based on how people feel because that's just what people, that's just what makes it emotional and crazy at times, right? And which is why we see like, you know, when the pandemic happened, um, you know, when, when COVID first happened, we saw that bottom in 2020 because people are emotional. If we, you know, if if it was just about the financials and blah, 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 people would have sold, right? People would have not sold. They would have like, oh no, you know, financials always win, da, da, da. let's just hold. But that's not human nature, unfortunately. So, you know, I am, it, for me, it's always a learning curve. I am down on, I'm down on Alibaba about, I think, 30. It just keeps on going down. It just keeps, just you know keeps your on going. average cost price is on Alibaba, roughly? It's, um, I think it's 100 and, okay. um, 168. But I'm, I'm continuing to invest. But there is a risk there, right? That the delisting thing could happen. I know that they are going to be um, audited by the US. Um, Facebook, I'm not down as much because I, I started recently investing in them. I started um, investing in, in Intel as well because I feel like, again, um, did a valuation on them. And I feel like they have just been battered beyond comprehension. And I just think that everybody thinks that AMC, um, AMD is just going to completely dominate the market and there's no market for Intel. And I just don't believe that, you know, um, as Warren Buffett says, I know people always say this, you know, be greedy and others <laughs> are fearful. I know he always says that. And I think, I think that is true no, in is. some aspects, you know, I think that is true and it's tough. Like, let me, let me be honest. It's tough, right? Yeah. You know, we're, we're getting negative news all the time and it's, it, it is tough to just be like, you know what, let me stick to my guns and keep on investing. <laughs> I do find it quite funny where people just post content on like Warren Buffett and like, yeah, be greedy and others are fearful. And like, yeah. they probably sold out when the market dro- yeah. uh, like drops for COVID or, yeah this year or whatever um and like yeah just picking up on what you said i I think it was um ben graham said that in the short term the market is a voting machine in the long run it's a weighing machine which is kind of looking at short term it's all about emotions and people like people's behavior long long term it's ultimately driven by by earnings um and and free cash flow um yeah so you you mentioned you mentioned um before when you were talking about the individual stocks you have like like meta and alibaba that you know you you, they they looked like they were an attractive valuation do you have a a sort of process that you go through to determine um whether a stock is worth investing in yeah so you know so this is where i have changed a little bit i i think my personality type right and I think maybe this is because of my job. So, so my day to day, um, I'm a product manager. So, I'm very future focused. I get excited about the future. I plan for the future. So, my investing style was very much based on investing in companies that maybe they aren't so established now but they have a bright future ahead. So electrical vehicles, of course, we want to reduce, you know, we want to become more green in the future, for example, telehealth, for example. Um, and then usually when I, when I did that, I wanted to understand, okay, is this an area that's, is this, a, is this an industry that's growing, right? Is this going to be an industry that's growing by double digits? Mm. Is this a company, a leader 
um, in this um, industry. Um, and then I really, it was an area that I understood, it was an area that I liked, because I'm, I'm not interested in um, every sort of area. For, for instance, I'm not interested in mining. I would never invest in um, mining companies, right? Um, so those are sort of my basic kind of um, checklists. And then I would want to then understand financially a bit more about the company. I like to kind of first look at the balance sheet. <laughs> Do they have a lot of debt? I don't like to invest in companies that, that have a, a lot of debt. Um, if their liabilities are more than their assets, then I'm, I'm staying away from it. Um, definitely wouldn't invest in, in, in any company. And I think for me, that then whittles it down quite a lot. I think why I invested in, in Meta, for, for instance, it's got a lot of cash on its mm. balance sheet. It's got a lot of cash on its balance sheet, not a lot of debt. So for me, I understood, okay, Meta is able, would be able to, to weather the storm. They'd be able to weather a recession. If we had ha, had one, they'd be able to weather whether their revenue um, was reducing. Another thing I looked at was revenue growing. And I need to see some sort of revenue growth. Again, if that's not for you, you know, some 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 companies are not really growing revenue. Like Coca-Cola doesn't really grow revenue much, maybe one, two percent. Um, I wasn't necessarily looking for double digit, five to ten percent growth. Revenue growth is what I, what I was looking for. I used to invest in companies. I still have them, but I used to focus more on companies that weren't profitable. Now I'm focusing on companies that actually turning a profit. So are they producing net income? Yeah, I look <laughs> hard on that. Yes, me too. Are they producing net net income? Are they producing? Um, free cash flow so I can um, be able to um, estimate what they're, how, you know, if, if for instance, let's say I, I predicted that they would grow over 10% a year, um, I could then predict what their future cash flow could be. And therefore, I could potentially predict what the value of that company is. So um, not to get too too boring. No, it's so fine. Again, again uh, for me, making sure that they don't have much debt, they have got a significant amount of cash on hand to to cover um, their short-term debts, growing revenue, making sure that they're, they're profitable in, and it's in an area that I like and it's an area that's growing. I think that's quite important because um, at the end of the day, right, uh, I'm not I'm not investing in a company for it to be the same value in 10 years' time. I'm investing in a company for it to have grown in value um, um, so for me, that, 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 that's sort of what I look like. I also like history. I like that the company has a decent amount. So five years, I know some people want 10, 15, 20 years, but if it has about five years worth of history, then I feel like you can predict more. You, even though predictions is, is, um, <laughs> is a bit like, um, I guess it's maybe we fool ourselves that because we've got more history, you feel like it's it's safer. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you could say with likelihood, okay, yes, you you feel like the company um, would exist. So yeah, that's sort of my my process um, to 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 the business. I want to definitely understand the business as much as I can. I only only really invest in companies that I understand and are of competent com where I feel like I'm competent. Yeah. Um, I don't invest in banks, for example, because um, it's not really an a- area that I'm I'm interested in. And I know banks mm. is, they're a bit more susceptible to like the environment um, 
you know, than um, other kind of yeah. uh, companies. And something I'm I- I- excited about, right? Um, there's some investments I'm like, oh, no, I can't. I, I, I would never. Like, for instance, I wouldn't invest in biotech companies. I don't. I don't, I don't understand biotech at all. Yeah. yeah. So I don't get it, right? Sometimes one day I'll check it, it's gone up 100%. Why is that? Mm. You know, so it doesn't excite me. It excites some people, but that's, that's yeah, that's not me. Yeah, I, that's such a good point. It's it's really important for investors to try and stay within their circle of competence when it comes to picking direct stocks. I think I've said this on the podcast before, but there's someone did some research where basically the the conclusion was that doctors were more likely to pick oil and gas stocks, and guys that worked <laughs> in the oil rigs were more likely to invest in biotech. And it's just and it's just it's weird. It's just it must be this human emotion of like trying to chase this wave and like because you don't understand the wave and where it's going you like want to get on it and see where you're going to yeah. go um yeah. but actually yeah it's, it's ultimately it's ultimately important to just don't invest in stuff you don't understand but in the yeah. moment it can be so tricky it can be yeah with you know with a lot of you know i think that as an investor i'll say definitely be very uh, although like downloading the news apps are great um investing.com market watch um, do be careful with them because, you know, they can influence you if you're not careful, right? If it's bad news, they're going to report on it and that can influence you to make uh, a mistake or to, you know, act on it. So I'll say just cut out the noise. I always say cut out the noise, stick to your guns. It may seem that it's not working, but stick to your guns. At the end of the day, investing is not supposed to be easy. I know. And, and also if the reason people pick stocks is to outperform the market yeah. and in order to outperform the market, you need to be contrarian because if you did what the market yeah. did, you just get the market returns. Yeah. Uh, but it's it, again, it just goes against that, that human nature of like wanting to go with the crowd on stuff, because yeah. I guess, you know, back in the day when we we're in tribes and stuff, if you went, you're, if you went a different way to where your where your mates were going, it probably wouldn't end very well for you. Um, yeah 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 and you know i was doing a bit of research on the weekend and i was looking at some of the uh, biggest hedge funds in the world and what they're investing in i know that they're they're always like we're always a quarter behind but it's always interesting just to see where their heads are at what they're buying what they're selling so i looked at blackrock i did i look at vanguard i definitely looked at blackrock and again, not this is not investing advice. Nothing I say is investing advice. It's just, it's just for information. I think it's just always good to just understand what they quote unquote they say smart money, right? What they're doing. Mm. They they were you know, I know a lot of people say big tech is overvalued. Again, I'm not arguing for or against that. It's just very interesting to see that they were still buying some of that, and even like companies that. I saw some buying Intel as well. I was like, oh, but, you know, everybody's saying Intel's dead, but you can see that these guys are loading up. So Mm. I just say that just to say that, you know, just make sure you do your research. Um, You know, the stock market has been around for a long time. Um, it's It's not that easy, but just stick to your guns. Yeah. And also just just on that point on, on Intel, like, you know, even though the fundamentals may not may not look great for Intel or, or or the news is negative, if the share price falls enough, it's going to hit a point where actually it makes sense from an investment standpoint. Um, you know, it's not all it's not all about um, 
it's not all about buying the next shiny thing you know or like high revenue growth it's just about a, it's just about a decent company that you can get in at a fair price and ultimately yeah. fa- a fair price is what matters um yeah. yeah and so um just looking at your asset allocation so um what do you know roughly what proportion are in etfs um and equities and also do you own any actively managed funds so funds that try to outperform their respective benchmarks I don't invest in any actively managed funds. Um, there was one that I was planning to look at that was invested in startups. And I think the reason why I was looking at that was because the net asset value and the actual price were far apart. So I think the actual price was way below the net asset value. But I think with, with startup companies, the problem it was, was that an investment trust. Companies. Yes, I believe so. Yeah. And um, actually, it wasn't startup companies. It was private companies, I think, that they were invested in. So I guess the difference with them is that they're not valued as often. It's not easy just to see what their value are. So it could have been written down, I suppose. Um, But I don't know. I don't currently. It's because their fees are higher. So I feel like I feel like the information that's out there um, is that they don't beat the market. So yeah, so yeah. that's why I don't. Um, and plus, like their high fees can't really justify it. To be honest. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just just to sort of uh, let you know where I'm coming from. So, I think it's really hard for retail investors to um, comprehensively evaluate a fund because yeah. they they don't have access to speak with the portfolio managers. They they don't have the ability to ask them tough questions about their investment philosophy and 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 to look at the style drifts and everything over time um you know and so all like i just don't know how that can lead to good outcomes i mean i know certain investment platforms for example hl who i'm with they have um their fund shortlists where they've basically spoken to managers and they've they've basically said these are the best funds in class that we think are available uh, uh, like a, a, a like a good fee rate but you know even them like y- you could argue there's conflicts of interest they could make the wrong decision and the more just the more i think about it the more uncompelling uh active management is for, from the perspective of a young person trying to build their portfolio yeah i i don't think that this might be controversial. I don't think that they care either way. They're getting their money, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, there's no, there's no incentive really for them to beat, beat the market. I, I, I guess, I guess, if they did beat the market, people would pick up on it, and then yeah. there might be capital inflows, and so assets and the management go up, and then they get more fees. But yeah, they could beat it, beat it one year. They get, they get loads of fees. And then they don't, they might not beat it again, but to consistently beat it every year, um, yeah. you know, I mean, it's such a tough one. It's such a tough one. I think there are, I think there are some that are out there, but again, it's really hard. Like you said, like anything could happen. They could their investment style, and I, I think another thing um, that I think about is how reactive are they to the stock market because we are investing in them are they sticking to their guns for five years or are they changing it month to month year to year because there's some pressure 
on yeah. them because maybe one of their investments, I don't know, just did really bad for some reason. So therefore, you know, the um, investors are calling for their head. Yeah. I just don't think it's a long term gain for these for these guys. That's the thing. And also, if if a fund does really well, there's going to be herding behavior. So, you know, retail investors will be like, oh, that, that fund like looks like it's done really well. They put money in the fund. The fund manager then has loads of cash that it's sat on with like new investors money. And they're like, oh, what do we do with all this money? And then they they allocate it to stocks um, that, that may have been a good idea a couple of years back, but the price has gone up and they're no longer going in at a fair price. Yeah. So they basically allocate the money to less optimal stuff. Yeah. And and then it just doesn't it doesn't end well. There's always going to be that reversion to the mean. And I guess a classic example is um well a classic example of a of a fund that has outperformed loads is Berkshire Hathaway, but what's the probability of picking the next Berkshire Hathaway? You know, it's it's really is a needle yeah. in the haystack, isn't it? Yeah, I mean I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah. Warren Buffett's been investing for a very, very long time, right? And at times, there, there's been some years that it didn't perform that well, right? So, again, but you see, I think where, where Warren Buffett is different to maybe other sort of investment managers is that he sticks to um, his investing style. They don't really sell. They buy what they like and then they hold it for a long, long time. So I think that's where um, it's different. I mean, if you can find somebody the next Warren Buffett, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, so I know we had a, a brief chat before the before the podcast, and yeah. you you mentioned that you were keen to uh, talk about the benefits of of sticking the course. I know we I know we probably talked yeah. talk, touched upon this earlier, but yeah, just just. Um, yeah, talk talk about what that means. Like, what what are the benefits for sticking the course as an investor, as a young investor, particularly? Yeah, I would say um, I think investing definitely has the uh, potential to be inflation beaten. Yeah, maybe in this the short term this year, maybe investing, you know, in the stock market may not be inflation this year, but I think over the long term, it definitely has the potential to to beat inflation. I mean, historically, I think inflation has been at 2%. Um, in investing, you can expect more than that. You can expect, I think, what is it, roughly 8 to 10%, they say, uh, to, to look at. So 6% more every year um, that you're looking at. I mean, the alternatives are not better, really. If, you, if, if you're looking and thinking about growing your money, um, you know, if you put your money in a savings account, okay, now the, the percentage is better, but that's because inflation is really high, right? But, okay, what are the rates now between 1.5% to 2% mm. um, per, per year is what you're you're getting in return for your money. That's not a lot. You know, you can't really uh, grow wealth that, that way. And even if you think about it, okay, you've gotten 2% this year. Well, inflation is at, I think, 10%. So you've kind of the value of your money, you've actually lost eight percent value. Whereas let's say this year, um, let's say the stock market, and this is not, you know, this is not this year, but typically we, we said eight to ten percent. Let's say you got that that eight eight percent, actually you would have just lost six percent of your money. And then if we got to a normal year where it's two percent, 
you have made 6% on your money. So I feel like it allows you to to, to build wealth, beat, beat inflation, allows you to grow your money. Also, there is um, uh, there are statistics out there that say that the longer you do hold your investments, the less likely that you will lose money as well, the longer. So I think um, I think they said, again, don't quote me on this because I'm, I'm having to think off memory here, but I think they said if you hold, I think investors that have held investments for about, I think, 20 years, I think 90% of them basically made money. Um, so those are the kind of things that you can look forward, forward to. Um, also, compounding. Compounding is important, right? The longer you hold on to your investments, the more you allow compound to take effect. So that's compound is basically interest upon interest upon interest as it keeps on going on. Um, and that's how Warren, that, again, Warren Buffett is basically, you know, think about it. Warren Buffett is basically, yes, okay, not everybody's going to be Warren Buffett, but imagine one of the most wealthiest persons in the world is that wealthy because of investing. So that's essentially the ceiling. Not everybody will get to that, but that shows you the power of it. And yeah, he's a proponent of holding your investments for a long time. So yeah, so I think that's that's why I wanted to just say, yeah, um, you know, I think if we zoom out of the stock market, and again, this is not investing advice. This is not me saying that or saying that, you know, in the I think the, the stock market is going to continue to go up in the future. And I, I mean, if you look back at history and you zoom out, it has just only gone up. If you zoom in, you'll see up, down, up, down, up, down. And that's normal. And I think that's, um, you know, that's how you have to see it, right? Mm. There's always going to be a boom and there's always going to be a bust. And if you understand in your mind that this is the normal cycle of things, then I feel feel like you'll get more more comfortable in the period that we are in right now which is the best time yeah. to invest i mean that's the thing i mean you know you, you talked about warren buffett and that you know he generated astronomic amounts of wealth through investing and compounding over time so that's the upside but in order to benefit from that upside you have to be able to just maintain your composure and stay relaxed and stick the course when things aren't as good because yeah like investing it, it if if it was straightforward, everyone would do it. Um, and it, but yeah, it's not. It's not a straightforward game, and it does exactly. require a lot of yeah emotional fortitude. <laughs> yes, emotional fortitude, and sometimes you will question yourself. Sometimes you do need to change. Sometimes you do need to adapt, and that's okay. We're mm -hmm. always constantly learning. Do you think that Warren Buffett has stopped learning at his age? He hasn't. He's still mm -hmm. continuing to learn because why new companies come about new technologies come about, new trends come about. So we always have to continue learning. So uh, do you have any crypto exposure? I Yes, I do you actually. Do? Okay. Yes. I, I'm invested in Bitcoin and Ethereum. I have been invested in them since 2017. Oh, wow. I haven't okay. had it yeah, for a while. So I haven't had the opportunity to add to my portfolio recently. I do want to add now that they are quite depressed, especially Bitcoin. Um, I think, you know, again, there is a, a risk here, right? Because nobody knows what's going to happen with Bitcoin and Ethereum. When I invested in them, I didn't know what was going to happen. I thought that Bitcoin has some future as a currency. I know that some people don't think that, but I, I, I thought that they did have some 
uh, future uh, as a currency. Ethereum, I like them as as a sort of um, infrastructure for other tokens to to build um, on top of it. Um, so yeah, so that's why that's why I looked at those two. Yeah, so I've I've got probably about six hundred and fifty pounds in them. It's like it's not like a crazy amount of money, but yeah, mostly in Ethereum and Bitcoin. Um, but I I can't see myself adding to those investments now because I I just don't have enough conviction. If I'm yeah. being totally honest with myself, I think it was a FOMO thing where. <laughs> when everything was popping off in like 2021, I was just like, oh, I've just got to get onto this. So I, I fully, I hold my hands up there and say that it was, it was purely speculative. Um, I guess, I guess there's this whole point of, you know, emerging trends and that crypto may become more intertwined in the fabric of society, but I have no idea how that translates to investment returns. If you're coming from a fundamental standpoint. Yeah, it's and this is why it's difficult, and this is why, you know, with crypto, the way you have to see it is it's money that you expect to lose. That's how you have to see it. You cannot try to bet the farm on it and expect that you're just gonna get rich overnight on it. I anybody that tells you that, and I've always said this about crypto, you know, um, anybody that tells you that is lying because nobody knows, right? So. You're, if you do want to get in the space, you can, but just know that you could lose it all. And if you if you know that and you're comfortable with that, then go ahead. But if you're not comfortable with that, then don't go ahead. Because that is the reality of it. Yeah. And I think it's important for people to... It's kind of like budgeting. It's like have, have a portion of your uh, investments which are clearly labelled speculative... Yeah, and that you are happy for those go to zero, and then the other the other sort of more stable stocks and shares and bonds and property, you know, yeah. you, you know, you might see a 40 percent drawdown, but yeah. you know, unless capitalism comes to an end, you're probably not going to see that go to zero. Yeah. Um, exactly. exactly, and I think I think that. Like you said, it is it is about your portfolio allocation. Um, it's it's very very um, important. Again, crypto is younger compared to stock market, compared to property as as an investment, and because it's younger, it doesn't have as much history behind it. It's still trying to find um, its itself. So yeah, it's it is speculative because it's difficult to value i mean i don't even know if you can value it right i know um, because the, i mean do they pay dividends i don't know like you know because obviously discounted cash flow modeling is so so intrinsic to yeah value investing and if, if there's no yeah. free cash flow or there's no there's no growth yeah it's a, a bit of a weird one anyway we'll see where we are yeah. in five years <laughs> yeah i'm ex- i i i'm excited to see what what happens with it mm. it's a, a very interesting space you know yeah um, you know, the world is, the world has changed a lot. And I think what we invest in has changed a lot. You know, I mean, look, the hedge funds are in it too, right? Because there's some interest there. You know, the metaverse is another thing that's coming up. So there's a, all of these things are things that we, we should look in. But again, just be mindful that don't try and use it as a lottery ticket and try and bet the farm at it. It's okay 
to be like, you know, I want to indulge myself. I want to dabble a little bit in it. That's okay. That's mm. fine to do if you if you want to. A lot of a lot of people invest um, in, in in Bitcoin and Ethereum and think you know certain things about that. But again, I think it's just yeah. understanding that you want to protect yourself first. I think the most important thing is to protect yourself as an investor. So if you want to protect yourself as an investor, you don't invest 100% in Bitcoin. I would never do that. And I never tell anybody to do that. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, completely. So, uh, yeah. And so what's what's next in the pipeline for you in terms of your investing? Is there anything that you got your eye on or are you just going to keep it nice and steady going into those index funds that you mentioned? Yeah, so yeah, I've got to still stay in my uh, stay in my ETFs. I just recently invested in Intel this week because they've just been getting battered. So I'm going to continue to invest in Intel, Meta, Alibaba, even though I know and understand that there are risks there in my ETFs. I do want to try and get into Bitcoin a little bit more um, because it's really depressed. So I'm like, you know what, let me just get a few more again. Yeah, I don't, I don't put more uh, a lot into there. So yeah, that's that's normally why what why I'm investing in monthly. It's um, Meta, Baba, my ETFs. Now it's going to be Intel, um, and then there's another company called Perion, which I think is undervalued um, that I, that I invest in. So that's that's normally what I'm going to do. Just consistently do it whilst we are in the market that we're in now, and then. Hopefully, if my thesis is correct, I should start to see some returns in the next few years. Yeah, I hope so too, Atto. Um, Thank you. And uh, sort of just to just like a final discussion point. Um, yeah. Obviously, uh, this conversation was made possible for Instagram, and yeah. you're you're putting out a lot of great content. Um, Thank you. Do you want to just like quickly talk about uh, your journey into the world of social media and what made you? start this journey yeah yeah sure yeah so um i so as i mentioned at the beginning i was terrible with money and then um i got progressively better with money budgeting and became better saving then got into investing and bought my first property and at that point i was like okay wow like i've had to go through this over five years but i've got to a really really good place so i i wanted to initially start it like three years prior to that as a blog for young people mm. and then for some reason i was like you know what let me start doing youtube videos and it wasn't because of the pandemic i already had the idea before it just happened that when i released my first video i think it was just before the pandemic had started and then other people started doing it but for me i started it wanting to help people with their personal finance just provide them with tips and things that i understood mistakes that i had made uh, and help them with it so i started out with infographics um that that went well started growing and then uh, a year into it I was like you know what I want to do a podcast I want to start um interviewing other people like me who are doing great things who can not just my voice right like get other voices out there mm. too who are who are doing great things and can provide um, a lot of value um so yeah started to do the podcast called the take-up experience I've been doing that for a year now I've done about 45 episodes. Uh, it's been sponsored before as well. Yeah, so it's doing really, really, really well. So the journey's been good. Like, it's been it's been so great. I've met so many great people like yourself. Thank you. Um, and, and people that I can, you know, genuinely call friends. And I, when I started it, I didn't actually expect to um, 
network and meet people like that. I was just kind of do it, doing it as to to help people, and it yeah, it kind of just blew up, and uh, yeah, a lot of people resonated with it, and then you kind of then realize, oh my god, um, we all lack financial education. Yeah. Um, and actually, this thing should have been essential. You kind of just get that eureka moment, like oh my god, like you know, at school there there's a few things that they should have taught us and I was telling my friend this the other day I said look there's a few um essentials that I feel like we all require at at school college university right to be taught about like you know your personal finances just the basics how to budget how to save how to invest right relationship how do you you know navigate relationships you know girlfriend boyfriend and then (laughs) you know if you want to get married yeah you know how do you have those conversations about like you know what do you want in a family where do you want to live all of these kind of vital things that we we don't get taught and then how to navigate life as an adult right you know going into the working world how to communicate with people like all of these sort of things i think are essential things that would have really helped all of us you know just do better and be better um so yeah no i'm just happy to just uh, fill in the gap as much as i can from a personal finance point of view but it's been great and yeah i'm looking forward to just um doing more in the future i love that Atta. that's that's such a wholesome answer yeah. and to be honest I, I i really resonate with that so i i started a blog uh back in 2020 um and yeah i i, I completely agree so you know i did um i did economics at uni and graduated in 2017 but I just I remember I, I kind of stumbled into wealth management um working for a company called Hargreaves Lansdowne who I've got my ISA with now and I realized like how little I knew about investing and I was like well if I've like gone to union and economics like like wh- what do other people know like um and so I was just like oh my god I need to like start you know um putting across my my views and my knowledge on on stuff just to help people and, and so I've like tried to like help help out my friends and, and family with this stuff and it's it's honestly so rewarding uh, and I'm sure I'm sure you'd agree yeah I yeah. do agree yeah it's, it's it's yeah it's been it's been really rewarding and you know you get dms from people asking about these things and I think the good thing is that we talk about these things um, I think it's very, very important to have these open discussions about Completely. money because it's, it's it's tough, you know. But I think the more we talk about it, the more I we can educate one another. I completely agree. I mean, just to slightly digress, like I think people get into trouble when there isn't transparent communication or like an open dialogue. Like, like why do you think why do you think there's been so much issues with like people's mental health, for example? It's because they don't have the channels to talk about it openly. Yeah. And we need to replicate that. Well, sorry, we need to do that as well in the world of finance, like make make things more transparent. Yeah. Um, and also to come from a place of authenticity where like you're actually saying, This is this is my portfolio, this is what I'm doing. And they're like, Oh, cool. Well, if he's doing that, then I suppose I should have a look into it. And then yeah. hopefully, yeah, the Eureka moment goes off for them as well. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think it's very important to be because this is how we all learn together and learn from our mistakes together. Right. We're all going to make mistakes. We're human. We're not. Yeah. <laughs> we're not. We're not gods. Right. So um, but I, I, I salute transparency. I like when people are transparent. It's good. Right. You can critique them all they want, but they're being transparent. Right. At the end of the day. And you can yeah. learn from their transparency and their mistakes. So 
yeah yeah great um also this has been a, a really good conversation um once again thanks so much for coming on the podcast um just for, for anyone that wants to get in contact with you or to see some of your stuff um do you want to just um let them know how to find you yeah, so you can find me on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok as Savvy Wallet. I'm on Twitter as Savvy Wallet One. I don't really post tweets on Twitter anymore. I just really just repost my other content on there. But yeah, if you do want to reach out to me, you can reach out to me on Instagram. I'm quite responsive um, on there or, or or YouTube anywhere really. I'm, I'm, I'll respond to you. So yeah, I hope to. If you got any questions, just yeah, just let me know. But yeah, please do. Look into your personal finances is <laughs> important, is important, um, you know, um, and again, I think do it with friends. If you do it with friends, you do it with family, you um, open a dialogue, it's much, much easier to, to, to get through. Excellent. Atto, uh, once again, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Well, thank Cool. You. Take care. Have, have a good evening. Thanks, you too. Okay, Cheers. Bye. bye. Well done on making it to the end of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please can you leave a comment if possible and leave a five-star review. This will really help the algorithm. And also let me know which content really resonates with you. Uh, Thank you very much. Just one final note. uh, Remember that the podcast should not be regarded as financial advice. If you are unsure of making any investment decision, please contact your financial advisor.